Hey guys, welcome to the Health Addict Show. Before we get started though, I wanna cover a couple things. This show is for entertainment purposes only, meaning I am not your doctor. So if you have questions or concerns about your own health, please ask a physician, okay? Get the right information for you. Otherwise, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Alright everybody, welcome back to the Health Addict Show. I'm your host Tommy J and I got a special episode for you today. We are going to take a whole episode to talk about a very important subject and I think a lot of people need to really understand them and they are seizures. Seizures are super important to understand for one main reason that is anyone can have one. I mean, if you have a brain and you have neurotransmitters, you can have a seizure. So if you know how to better treat a seizure, or even if you're just a regular citizen and you want to help someone who's having a seizure, this is great information for you to have at your disposal. And I literally mean they can happen to anyone from babies to child, toddlers to young adults to adults to senior citizens, everyone everyone is susceptible to a seizure. So let's get down to the nitty gritty of what actually a seizure is. All right, let's get one thing understood though right off the top so everyone's on the same page. Your brain has 100 billion neurons in it with over 100 trillion connections altogether. We're talking about one of the most complex organs in the body and probably one of the less well-known reasons and understandings of it. It's just impossible to understand all these connections all at once. We have really good knowledge of a lot of things just because we can understand where things are working and where things aren't working. But understand when you have brain trauma or damage, this is why it's so hard to repair your brain. There's so many different connections and neurons working together to create this homeostatic body that we all use. Now, think of your nervous system like a giant electrical system hardwired throughout your entire body and split into two divisions. You have your central nervous system, which is your brain and spinal cord, and your peripheral nervous system that extends out to your limbs and organs and help us move and make our muscles do the things that we want it to do. Now, our body sends an afferent signal, I know I'm saying this, but I want to put emphasis on the syllables in the front, an afferent symbol out to the limbs, and then gets an efferent signal back telling it that it has performed the task. And your brain's processing over a trillion different signals a second, just trying to figure out what's going on in the body. Try to imagine a hundred things coming at you, now imagine that amount coming at you every second of the day, no matter what's going on, unless you're sleeping. That hypothalamus is an impossible organ to understand. Now, again, your neurons work like electricity. They send a signal to each other and moving down the wire all the way to where you want your direction of your signal to go. Now, you have certain chemicals that help process this. You use glutamate to get that signal to the next neuron, making an excitatory response, and you have GABA, which is the inhibitory response. It tells those neurons to calm back down. And you need this kind of balance to make sure that your neurons don't overexcite all the time and that they can be re-excitable. So those key neurotransmitters again are glutamate and GABA. And just in case you're wondering what GABA stands for, which I probably know you weren't, it's a gamma amyobutric acid. Now, putting it all together, when your brain sends that signal, tells it to excite, sends out glutamate, it needs GABA to come back out and tell it to calm down. Well, when that doesn't happen, your brain just continues to send signals and gets excited. And now you have a ton of signals going on in your brain at once. This is a seizure. It's a mass amount of signals being brought in your brain going haywire, going crazy, and the brain just can't compute with it, causing a seizure. Now, for most of us, when we hear a seizure, we think of one thing, someone flopping like a fish on the floor, uncontrollably foaming at the mouth, and 
it sounds scary. Well, that is a seizure. That is one type of seizure though. We call that a tonic-clonic seizure. And some of you might also know it as a grand mal seizure. And I can tell you right now, foaming at the mouth, like the movies portray it as, it really doesn't happen that often. Yes, you'll have some foaming, you have some spitting, but you know your body can't control what it's doing. So that does happen. And the person is flailing. The body is uncontrollably seizing. We call this the colonic part of the seizure. Or there's also part of the tonic part where the person becomes very stiff and rigid. They might bite down, bear down, bite their tongue, bite their cheek. They might not even breathe during this period. But you can even have a situation of both where they start stiff and then they start repeatedly jerking. They might even lose their incontinence on this part, meaning they might pee or poop themselves, which is okay. This is not something to really feel bad about. You can't control it. Don't make someone feel bad about that. But this is the one probably most people are familiar with. And it usually lasts one to three minutes. And if it lasts longer than that to five minutes, then you're at status epilepticus, which is a dangerous thing, which we will touch on in a little bit. Now, the next type of seizure, it's mostly seen in children when we look at this one. It's called absence. It's called patemol also is another good way to say it. It's really where the patient starts just staring at you. They almost look like they're daydreaming. And it really doesn't last long. It's pretty short. It lasts maybe like a few seconds and could last up to a minute. But usually right after it happens, they immediately come back and there really isn't a post-episode um, problem. The patient doesn't feel tired as much and not overstressed like they would with a grand mal seizure. Now the next one is kind of a more dangerous one, just like the grand mal, which is the tonic seizure. And this one's a little more dangerous because the patient just drops. They lose all muscle control and they fall. And one of the biggest parts of it is your head's really heavy. So its center of gravity gets forced down pretty quick. And a lot of patients, when they have this type of seizure, are a huge head risk for injury there. So a lot of times we recommend helmets with these patients. But this patient might just all of a sudden be standing there. And next thing you know, they drop, hit their head, and now we have a second issue. Now, again, this person should recover pretty quickly as long as nothing happens on the way down. But the idea is that they have a few minutes and then they're back to normal and not kind of I shouldn't say normal. They don't feel like perfect, but they're definitely not like after the clonic tonic seizures. Now, the last category of seizures, we call it the focal, and you can have a focal or a partial impaired focal, and pretty much the patient and person is aware of their surroundings, or you might have a temporary loss of what's going on, but they are more aware, they feel everything going on, we, we'll talk more about the stages, the aura, but they have the aura and they're able to feel things going around them, but they just can't control what's going on. Last a few minutes, and then they come out of it. So the patient really isn't at harm like they are if they're an atonic or a clonic tonic seizure, but they definitely have the issue of becoming immobile as in the other types of seizures. Now, patients go through four stages when they go through a seizure. You have the prodromal, you have the aura, you have the ictus and post ictus. The prodromal is the area where you're starting to feel seizure symptoms come on. And usually you have depression, anxiety. There's a lingering feeling that patients start to get when things are going to happen. They kind of, because they previously had seizures and they can just feel different changes in their body going on. This is the prodromal stage. And the prodromal stage can last hours or days before a seizure, but they can feel something going on with it. Now, the next stage is the aura stage, and this is a very serious stage. This is when the person or patient starts actually physically feeling a seizure coming on. It's a very good warning stage, 
And as a practitioner or a friend or family member, you should probably take it very seriously. Like they might start having altered vision and hearing, have that deja vu effect. Sometimes they have anxiety or they just can feel a dizziness or even sometimes this is a stranger one. They might have to start having like taste and smells and just know that a seizure is coming on. This can last a second and then boom, it hits or it could be a couple minutes. You might have some time. But it's better to prepare someone, especially if they give you those warning signs and get them in a safe place to have the seizure. And unfortunately, there's not really much you can do because once it's coming, it's coming and you really need to prepare for it and get that person ready because after that, we're in the ictus stage. So now we're in the ictus stage. The patient is physically in their seizure, whether it's a tonic-clonic or it's just an absence or a tonic, you need to start timing the seizure at this point because you need to figure out if they're in a safe spot or if they're going to need medical attention or if you're in the hospital, if you're going to need your rapid response team. So basically start timing the seizure. One to three minutes, okay, you know, the patient's not going to feel good, but at least they're going to recover most in generally. Now, if it starts lasting five minutes or you're back-to-back seizuring, it's time to get some medical involvement because the patient might need treatment and medical intervention to help them stop seizing. Because, I mean, you're not breathing, you have a high risk of aspiration, the patient could be at risk of hurting themselves, biting themselves over, and eventually the patient could have more serious complications. So it's time to seek medical attention if you're lasting more than five minutes or you're having back-to-back-to-back seizures. Timing the seizure is super important. Now, once the seizure has physically stopped, we're in that post-ictus stage. And this is where the brain's trying to recover from the injury. Now, if you have an absence or if you have a focal, the recovery time isn't very much. Usually you come right back and you're back to your normal self. But if you have something like a tonic-clonic or an atonic where you fall and then you hurt yourself, the patient might not feel so good. They could be pretty tired, confused, not really know or be aware of what's going on, have really bad headaches, or they could have injured themselves during the seizure and might need medical attention. So again, one thing I can really tell you really for sure right off the top, time that seizure. It is so important. Once you know someone's about to have a seizure, hit that stopwatch so you can better treat it in the future or if they're going to need medical attention, you know right away. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. What the heck causes seizures? Well, there's a lot of things that actually can cause a seizure. Now, for some people, there is an unknown factor. They're just genetically predispositioned for seizures. They have them. They're not really known why. There's just a neurotransmitter disorder in their brain, and they're very prone to seizures. These people should not drive. But the point is, sometimes there's just no real reason for it. The brain just wants to have a seizure because it's just unable to use those inhibitory response receptors to get that brain from stop firing. Now, for the rest of us that don't have a hereditary reason for it, or genetic reason for it, there's other reasons that can cause a seizure. One, a brain tumor. I know that's kind of a weird and obvious one, but if you have a physical substance in your brain, that would definitely cause a seizure. Um, A couple other ones like hypoxemia, a low oxygen level, and the brain cannot perform its daily tasks. The brain needs oxygen and it needs this to perform efficiently. Same thing with sugar. So hypoxemia and hypoglycemia. If you have low blood sugar and low oxygen, this can definitely cause a seizure. 
The next one is fever. Fever is a super important thing to understand. Once your body temperature gets above 104, your body is literally cooking. You need to cool it down, especially your brain. Your brain can't handle that type of heat for that long. I mean, look at what happens when you're just out in the sun for a long period of time, you get heat stroke. Now, when your body temperature gets that high, you're cooking your brain so hard and burning so many calories and oxygen and sugar that eventually your brain can't handle it and boom, seizure. Now, another one less common is epileptic seizures. These are ones caused by flashing and very rapid flashing lights. You might see a lot of warnings when it comes to flashing lights and say if you're prone to seizures, don't see this. Um, not many people are really that reactive to flashing lights. It can happen should you take that unnecessary risk. No, but not as many people as it seems are as sensitive to flashing lights. I mean, look how many people get and see flashing lights all the time every day. So, but should you put yourself at high risk for it? I wouldn't, but it is a, another risk factor for having seizures. Two more obvious, but less known reasons that you probably would have thought about if you really thought about it. Um, abnormal vessels in the brain, especially if you're at high risk for stroke or having a stroke can cause seizures. And the obvious one, head trauma, a really hard hit to the head can cause seizures in a lot of people. Now, another less common one is medication. So sometimes medication, it really messes with your neurotransmitters, especially if you're on antidepressants and other medications that mess with those receptor sites you're really affecting the way your brain normally works. And this can lead to seizures. Is there a high risk for it? Not really. Can it happen though? Definitely. So it's something to be aware about. If you're taking any kind of medication that affects the transmitters in your brain, there is a risk for seizures. This includes the famous smoking cessation drugs too. So don't think they're just as safe to help you get out of smoking as well. I mean, they are great substitutes to help you quit that nicotine addiction that does happen but again you're messing with neurotransmitters in your brain that you've effectively been messing with for a very long time and speaking of drugs another one that really does happen frequently and if you're an alcoholic um an alcoholic withdrawal seizures are very common if it's a sudden stop in alcohol so this is kind of a fun one. Why would alcohol withdrawal cause a seizure? Well, when you really think down to the chemistry of it, your brain is constantly in that homeostatic balance. Alcohol actually suppresses those GABA receptors in your brain. So your body isn't producing GABA as frequently and your body's just pushing out glutamate to compensate with the alcohol. Wow, when you cut out alcohol, now you don't have that GABA receptor to help your brain stop being so stimulated. And within six to 48 hours, a lot of times when patients go through alcohol withdrawal, they will have a seizure because of this. So should they cut out alcohol entirely, especially if you're a heavy drinker, that's going to be a definite no. So what you should do is just start cutting back a little bit at a time so you can eventually get that homeo balance in your brain back. So how do you diagnose a seizure? Well, the first one's pretty easy. If you have a tonic-clonic seizure, I think we can all say that you're having a tonic-clonic seizure. Um, but to understand why you're having a seizure, it kind of depends. If you've had them for a very long time, then it isn't as hard to diagnose. But if you have a sudden onset and you start having seizures, this definitely can be related to infection or other sources and vectors. So there's different processes for identifying seizures. And that includes having a neurological exam. There's blood tests involved, especially if you're at a risk for infection, they might want to do a lumbar puncture. And then there's EEGs or electroencephalograms and MRIs that kind of help diagnose what's causing the seizures. Now, if they want to do a quick assessment, they can always do a CT scan. 
Obviously, I don't always recommend those because the amount of radiation that a patient is consumed to, it's a lot. It's more than you really want to. But I mean, for a quick diagnosis, especially for brain tumor, but then you're going to have to get an MRI anyway for this. So sometimes it's just better just to get the MRI. Other scans include a PET and SPEC scan. The PET scan is a positron emission tomography, and they're basically seeing how the vasculature in your brain looks by giving you a radioactive material through a vein. Same thing for the SPEC, the single, pro, or single photon emission computerized tomography, but they're going to make a more 3D rendered image of your brain with it. They're very useful for looking at your brain, but for the most part, a lot of people, it's a pH chemical or some other imbalance that isn't necessarily needed with a lot of these other scans. So more drug-related interventions. Now let's say that your patient is constantly seizing. There's some drugs you can give. Phenobarbital, a type of barbiturate, can help especially with tonic-clonic and focal seizures. It helps by releasing that GABA to help give that inhibitory effect. This includes with the hydantins, if you want to give those. Um, and then obviously you also have your lorazepam and diazepam. You can give as benzodiazepines, but I'd be very careful with the amount that you give of these because if you overdose your patient, you're going to have to give the flumanazole that we all don't want to have to give. So just be careful with your dosing. But if a patient isn't coming out, especially in status epilepticus, you're definitely going to need to give something to help them get back to regular homeostasis. Now, for over-the-counter medications, is really not that much. Um, now, you can get a prescription for Caminol, which is a type of marijuana derivative. It's for ages two and up. Um, but overall, there's not a whole lot of anti-seizure medications on the market right now. The basic idea, though, is to make sure you stop things that are seizure stressors and make good dietary choices so that you're not having these imbalances in the first place. And again, this includes making sure you take your vitamins, making sure you get plenty of sleep, making sure you're not taking a whole bunch of stimulants if you're very prone to seizures. And just a quick note too, for anyone that is pregnant or on contraceptives, um, anti-seizure medications can actually affect the way the contraceptives work. So make sure you talk about that with your doctor if you're on a contraceptive or you're taking anti-seizure medications. Now for the patients with really chronic seizures that happen to go into status epilepticus more than they should, there are surgery interventions as well, like a lobectomy, um, there's a corpus callostotomy, and then there's also thermal ablation, but you know what? You really should stay away from anything that's taken apart from your brain. But obviously if you can't get away from having seizures and the medication isn't working, Sometimes you have to weigh your risks, but um, I would say surgery is definitely on the far end of the spectrum for most seizure treatment. And now that I have droned on and droned on and probably lost about 90% of the people that aren't medical, I want everyone else to really understand this next section. This next section is really what you should do if you notice someone having a seizure, because you could effectively save someone's life. Think of how awesome that could be. If you saw someone out in the field, out in your hospital, and everyone else didn't know what to do, and you actually knew how to help this person, you really could be a hero in this case. So here's what I want to do. Especially if someone's going to have a tonic-clonic seizure, you really want to get everything away from them. Move stuff that could be potentially harmful to the person having a seizure that they can either hit on, get trapped around, get suffocated with. Get everything out of the way so they're not in harm's way. And then the next step, you want to remove all restrictive wear, necklaces, things like that, that could be wrapped around the patient during the seizure. Now, don't start undressing a person in public because when they wake up, they might be a little mad that they're naked on the street. But the point is, make sure you get rid of anything that's really going to be restrictive for the patient that could be wrapped around them during the seizure. Next, don't try to hold the patient down or restrict their flow. You're really going to hurt the patient during this process if you try to do that. 
Now you can put pillows underneath the head so they're not whacking their head against the ground or make sure that there's other things padded around them so that when they do flail, they're hitting something soft, that there's something in the way they can't move, a car, a building, other things that are around there are just really large and unmovable. Get something padded in there so if they, in case they do flail and hit it, it isn't as harmful to the person. And finally, the best thing you can do if you really wanna help the patient is turn them on their side. One of the biggest risks during a seizure is aspiration. When a patient has all this volume, they might puke or throw up, or they might have a lot of spit, everything goes straight into the lungs at this point. And this is super dangerous for someone if they aspirate. It puts them at a high risk for pneumonia, puts them at a high risk for low oxygen levels. I made an episode on TikTok called Shunt. That's a good one to watch because that really explains what happens, especially during aspiration. So again, if you can turn them on their side, turn them on their side. And then finally, do not stick anything in their mouth. I know you're trying to help them save them from biting their cheek or their tongue, but you're gonna put yourself at risk, especially your fingers if you're putting your chomper in there. And you're gonna put their teeth in risk because they're gonna be really biting down hard during these seizures. Don't put anything in there. Now, if they have something physically in their mouth, try to get that out because you don't want them to aspirate that or get hurt anything else inside their mouth during the seizure. But do not stick anything in their mouth. And finally, again, start timing the seizure. Because if it lasts more than three minutes, get medical help. Honestly, if you're on the street and you might want to call 911 anyway for this person, because you don't know, I mean, being a lay person, it might not be a good idea to try to treat a seizure and be a medical professional when you don't have a medical professional background. But in general, if it's going or five minutes, they're being a status epilepticus and they need medical intervention. So I would call 911 to help this person out. All right, folks, that is it. That is everything you need to know about seizures if you're going to help someone who has them. I hope this helps you. I hope this gives you a better understanding of seizures. And when you recognize a seizure happening, you know what to do. So, all right, folks, I hope you have a wonderful day. If you have any questions about seizures or the show, please contact me. I'm always available. And I hope you have a great day. Stay addicted to your health. Follow the channel so you can get more up-to-dates on new information, and I will see you all next time. Stay healthy, my friends.